When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings, America's number one sportsbook app. Now joined by everybody's favorite Arizona basketball color commentator, the great Ryan Hansen, the man who has dropped a three-pointer on Reggie Geary in the past. There isn't any footage to there isn't any footage to show it, but you know what? Reggie did confirm. And it was only once we did confirm that as well. <laughs> But when you put that against the best defensive player in school history, you hold on to that and you uh, and you cherish that one, Rhino. Yeah, you you cling to it uh, with all hope possible because uh, I know I'll never score on him again. All right, I, there's not many times that people that I get accused of being pessimistic about Arizona basketball. I will say this: I was a little wrong about this year's team. I thought that losing Ben Matherin, losing Christian Coloco, losing Dalen Terry. I thought the national rankings were about right at the time. I thought they were probably somewhere between 17 and 20. I did not see this. I've got to be totally honest with you. I did not see Arizona being right back in contention for a number one seed. My question for you is this. How did this happen? That's a great question because I think you have noted one huge thing. Outside of Duke losing five players to the NBA draft, Arizona is the next team that lost the most firepower of any team in the country. And we've seen Duke take a pretty big step backwards. Right. Now, granted, they lost a pretty decent head basketball coach that not might bad. be somebody you are familiar with. So there's a, a not a direct correlation or comparison when you look at what they lost because when you factor in Coach K's loss as well, that's pretty significant. But – Looking at what Arizona lost, Mike, I think you were absolutely right. This was a top 25 team in Arizona. It had a really solid core group returning. Uh, the, the players that were coming back were, were key players. You could argue that Azulis might have been Arizona's second best player last year behind right. Ben Matherin. So I would say you brought back number two, four, five, and six. Uh, right. If you were to look at that, the Pac-12 sixth man of the year in Pella Larson. Uh, but who knew that Umar Bala would make the jump that he made? Who knew that Kirk Carissa would become a better three-point threat? Uh, who was, We all hoped Courtney Ramey would be who he is, mm -hmm. uh, but he's developed into a significant contributor. What I don't think we felt is the team chemistry, the cohesiveness, the, the production on the floor for the entire season, we would be sitting here now watching Arizona as a top 10 team in the net, which that is happening. Yep. They're, they're creeping up in the net. The Ken Palm rankings, they keep getting better and better in all of the metrics there. 
and they're position themselves right now for probably a two seed in my estimation. I, mm-hmm. I, a one seed is within reach. And so on February 8th, if you're within sight of a one seed, you're doing something right, which is a dramatic improvement. I didn't think Arizona would be in this strong of a position uh, going into the season. And one thing I'll say, Rhino, is that uh, the wins that this squad has right now stack up with absolutely any team in the country. You just go down the list. Tennessee, you saw that up close. You know how good they are. You've got um, uh, UCLA. I don't care what anybody says. That's a top 10 team, in my opinion, right there. Somewhere in there. You got Creighton. You got Indiana. You got San Diego State. These are all teams that are in the top 25 and are all going to be top five seeds. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, you got UCLA to still maybe get a win, but that's a pretty nice little list of wins right there, Rhino. It's a great list, and it's probably not going to be topped by too many teams. There may be some Big 12 teams that get right. more of those quality wins as the end of the year. They, if they, whoever goes and wins that conference season, uh, conference tournament is probably going to rack up more wins. But I think you're right, especially out of conference, probably not a team out there outside of Arizona and a handful of others that have that many wins. The challenge for Arizona at this point are the losses are not to a group of top teams, right? Right. If And I'll throw this one at you. Outside of being an Arizona fan in the month of February and the first two weeks of March, you better be a Washington State Cougar fan. If you want Arizona's metrics to make a significant change and you want that selection committee to sit in there uh, the week before the actual selection Sunday and look at Arizona, you need Washington State, who is currently number 80 in the net. If Washington State could creep into the top 75, now you're talking quad three loss turns into a quad two loss. The win on the road turns into a quad one win instead of a quad two win. You need you need Washington State to play well down the stretch here, because if they don't, that will be a loss at home. Yes, any loss at home is not great, but that loss at home looks bad at present as a quad three loss to the uh, to the selection committee. All right. Before we talk about Azulis Tabellis, I want to talk about Four Peaks, the official brew of PHNX Sports. Now, let me tell you this. I've dubbed the U of A big man all year the Four Peaks. I don't care what anybody says. I know that Dylan and Henry aren't playing as much. Their value comes in practice. Just like the Four Peaks, uh, the official brew, great brew. Check it out at the uh, Phoenix location. Or if you're in Tucson, you can come to our Tap and Bottle Watch parties this week, February 11th, to watch Arizona take on Stanford. They will have Four Peaks there. Downtown location at Tap and Bottle. Would love to see you down there. All right. Let's talk Azulis Tabellis right now. Because going into the year, I thought, 17 points, eight rebounds. That's what I was looking for out of Zoo. And I thought that, you know, I thought he was very capable of that. Rhino, this is one of those years. It's almost like when JT came back for his senior year where it's like, okay, I'd love to see you really become a, a much better player. And it's not that you became a better player. It's that you became a national player of the year type, dude. That's what we're watching with Zoo. There's no doubt about it. And, and it's interesting you brought up Jason Terry. So let's talk about significant seasons in Arizona basketball, modern history, right? Mm -hmm. So to put this all in context, uh, Zoo right now has 499 points. 
at his current pace, and, and I'm conservative with this, uh, I think there's a minimum of 10 more games. I think you're right. looking at two in the Pac-12 conference tournament for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just in case there's a of Friday course. semifinal loss. And then the guaranteed NCAA tournament first round. So that right. 10 games left at his current pace, he's going to get to 700 points. Right. Uh, I don't think we're going to see him drop off there. There are only five players that have over 704 or 704 points or more in a given let, season. Let, can I get, can I guess? Let Give give me the breakdown, Mike. All right. So you got Khalid at 848. You got yep. Damon, his senior year. You've got Sean. Um, you got DeAndre Ayton. Um, yes. And, uh, uh, and Jason Terry, his senior year. No, you, Sean Elliott did, has two in there, 88 and 89, right. 735 right. and 743. You forgot Derek Williams. Oh, you hold up. Yeah. Just a little high on JT and a little high on Damon. Not much. They were right there in the high 600s. Uh, But D. Will, 741 points. So I guess my point is this. When you think of from a point production standpoint, total points, contributions to the team, he's in hallow ground. He's not going to catch Khalid. But it would not be crazy. I mean, I was conservative there. If they get to the Pac-12 title game, get to the Sweet 16, at his current pace, he could have the second best scoring output season in Arizona basketball history. Are, are we thinking that through? That's incredible what this guy's doing. Uh, and I, I put this out there on Twitter a while back, but, you know, again, don't want to get greedy here because he's going to have a lot of options after the season. But I'm just saying, theoretically, if he were to come back, I don't think he can hit Sean because 25-55 is just so far out into this stratosphere. But right after that, you got Bob Elliott that maybe he could creep up on. But he would have a chance, Rhino, to really cement himself at the top of a lot of pretty impressive Arizona records. Only two players in Arizona history have scored more than 2,000 points, both last name Elliott. You mentioned both of the, the uh, Azulis comes back. That mm-hmm. is within reach, and that is, that's incredible. And then when you, you couple that with his production on the glass, nine and a half rebounds is, pro- is not going to land him in the top 10 best seasons of all time. Right. But when you couple that with points, I think that's incredible. He's going to be close on, on the rebounds. I think that he might get to nine or eight uh, in total rebounds if he gets to that. Rebounds per game, not so much. But I just I, I think Zoo is incredible. And are you ready? I've got one more crazy stat for you, what do you got? In, in regards to season highs. At the current pace that I've kind of laid out there for Azulis, he will end the season with the most made baskets in single season in Arizona basketball history. DeAndre wow. Ayton, 276 made field goals. Khalid, 276 made field goals. If Arizona just plays 10 games, which was right. my conservative estimate, right? DeAndre Ayton will finish with 277 made field goals at his current pace. So it's not just points. It's the most made baskets. This guy, and think about this. DeAndre Ayton dominated games, was dunking on fools. Khalid was dropping mm-hmm. threes, breaking people down. Dropping 30 on the fab four. And, yeah. Right. Zoo's kind of done it quietly. Kind of you know quiet. What it is? You know what it is, Rhino? And that was going to be my next point. That 40-point game that he dropped, I remember when Damon dropped 45. I, I got to stay up late to watch that game. He was pulling a lot of those, and you know, you were there. A lot of those, he's yep. pulling up from 30 feet. What Zoo did, it looked so effortless. 
everything. It looked like he could have scored 60 if they had really kept him in there and pushed it. It, it was remarkable how simple oh, for it sure. seemed for him. Well, and, and you hit it. Khalid, uh, sorry, Damon's 45 and 40. I was at both of those games, the at mm-hmm. Stanford, at Wazoo game. By the way, the at Wazoo game was double overtime. So Correct. he had an extra 10 minutes to get those points. Right. And think about this. Damon had the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. He was the leader in scoring and assists in the Pac-10 conference at that time in 95 when he did both of those things. So the rock was in his hands. Zoo right. had to wait on teammates to get him the basketball. Granted, very unselfish team, but of the mm-hmm. 16 makes against Oregon, 11 of those makes came off of an assist. So I would contend Zoo does his work early. He runs the floor, we know this, better than any foreman in the country. Uh, He finishes better than any big man in the country. I don't care uh, on a fast break, stack him up with anybody. But what he does moving without the basketball, he positions himself, he understands angles, and his teammates know where to place the basketball so that he can catch and finish quickly, which is a credit to Zoo. It's a credit to his work and his understanding of the game of basketball uh, that is, is really quietly gaining steam. I think he's starting to gain traction. And what maybe a week ago or last Saturday's press conference, Tommy Lloyd said he's not getting enough conversation. He's not in the and he was, and he was right. American status. He was right. And I think it was necessary that he said that because now this week, all of a sudden you've seen it. Some of the talking heads out there are starting to put Zoo in the conversation. Uh, there's a few that aren't, which we won't right. go there on those yucko heads. Uh, right. But the guys that that are that know what they're talking about, Zoo's in that conversation for all American status. With you and I talked about this, that's hallowed ground. And, and you know the thing about it too, and this is where Arizona fans get frustrated. And you can comment on this, or you can just let me comment on it. But Arizona fans get frustrated. It's not that it's not necessarily attention. It's almost that there's like an ignoring of it. Perfect example: Derek Williams. You could easily make the case was the best player in college basketball that year. He wasn't a first team All-American. How does that happen? Salim Stoudemire's numbers his senior year were across the board better than J.J. Reddick's. As Lute made a very, very good point of uh, uh, putting out there, was still a second team guy. It seems that there's generally a win in doubt. Well, we'll just throw Arizona on the second team. I watch a lot of college hoops. I know you watch a lot of college hoops. There's not five better players in college basketball than Azulis Tabellis, and there's not three better front court players. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And when uh, something that came out, and this guy sometimes loves Arizona, sometimes hates on Arizona, but Jeff Goodman came out with what I thought was a pretty good summary this week. Uh, you may have seen it. Yeah, he pulled 30 of the, the top experts, according to him, uh, his choice of 30 media members, and said, give me your All-Americans. And Zoo was squarely on that list. And I think it was six guys for five spots. Zach Eady from Purdue, hands down. I don't right. think there's any question he is in the All-American candidate status mm-hmm. and probably he's probably, probably the national the player favorite, right? I mean, you look at his numbers, it it would be hard to say Zoo no is, problem is with that from a number. Right? Jalen Wilson from Kansas, incredibly important to that team, has great numbers, does it differently than Zoo and Zach Eady. I have no problem with Jalen Wilson being on that list. Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, I have no problem with him being on the list as long as Azulis Tabellis is on that list. I think if you start saying he should be on it and Zoo's off, then I've got a problem. I've Brandon got- Miller and, and Drew Timmy, I think, are the other, the other two. I, I, you, yeah, with Trace Jackson Davis, that's the exact – because we've seen them go against each other, and we've seen Zoo this season, 
And I've always felt that Big Ten hoops is pretty overrated, to be honest with you. That's a little pet peeve of mine. But I watch Azulis, though, against the best. When he's gone against the best teams in the country, he's brought his best game out there. And I thought Tommy Lloyd made an interesting point before the year when he was talking about him and going a little off script here. He said the thing with Azulis is sometimes he thinks a little too much. They just need Azulis to be able to act and be aggressive. And you watch it. He's very quick with his movements. Now, again, he'll take his time, but he's quick. And there's not a lot of room to kind of think about what am I going to do right here? He's just letting his natural basketball instincts take over. And that's why I think he's scoring so easily everywhere around the basket. Yeah, he's got fast twitch offensive reaction, right? So it's on the catch. And I I talked about this a minute ago, right? His post-ups, he understands angles. He understands foot advantage. That was something Coach Olson talked a lot about in the post. It's not just What do you mean by that? Can you expand? But I mean foot advantage is you can get your body kind of around somebody to present yourself in the post for an easy pass. But if your feet as an offensive player are on top of the defender and you get an advantage where my right foot, let's say I'm posting up and the basket's here over my right shoulder. If my right foot is over the top of your, your right foot as a defender and you're behind me, I've got an advantage. That's really difficult for you to swing that foot around to try to cut me off to right. the basket. So Zoo posts up on that right block, gets the foot advantage, leading foot to the rim advantage over the top of the defender so that when he catches, he can just go right up with that left hand so quickly. His second jump after an offensive rebound is quick. He gets it. It's not just Zach Eady, catch it way above your head, (laughs) come down, go back up, right? He's incredible at keeping the ball above his head. That's been taught in college basketball and basketball circles for years. But Zoo is so quick. He doesn't have to be right in front of the rim. And I, I agree with you. That separates him from some of the other guys that have to get their balance, start doing the shake and bake uh, to, to make a basketball move. Right. Okay. Now I want to get to the backcourt here in a second, but game time, the best sports ticketing app out there. Let's say you want to go watch the goat Brian Jeffries along with Ryan Hansen. And you're saying to yourself, I don't know how, and you can't, you know, six to one cats is closed, whatever the case may be. That's where you get game time. Game time can get you 60% off many times last second. We've had many people on our post game shows talk about it. Check out the show notes and the link in the description game time. All right. Kirk Risa. Um, there are very, there's, and I've always felt this in basketball, and you've seen this up close. There are guys that truly want the ball, that truly want a shot in the last minute. Everybody says they want it, but there's very, there's, there's, there's a limited amount of guys that really want it. Miles Simon wanted that ball at the last second, to give you an example. Kirk Creasa to me is always going to be cool in my book because I'll tell you what, he could be two of 11. Obviously, you don't want him to be two of 11. But I feel very comfortable with him taking a a game-tying, game-winning shot down the stretch, no matter what he shot that day. He's got a very special knack, in my opinion, for that. Yeah, I don't disagree. There's there is absolutely a, a confidence that's unwavering with him that sometimes gets him into trouble, but more often mm-hmm. than not, that swagger, that confidence, uh, not only helps himself, but it 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 overflows to his teammates. And I think that's something over the last two years that has not been talked enough about is his energy, effort, and emotion. 
Tommy talked about it with me and Brian after the game on uh, against Oregon State. Right. He, we, he, Brian and I always focus on energy and effort, right? Those are things you can look for at the start of a game coming off the Oregon emotional high. We looked at energy and effort, and Tommy brought back up what's well, also emotion. You got to look at that, and that's where Kerr helps Arizona in this way. So what might appear and sometimes overflows, and fans don't like it because of the bravado, the brashness, uh, maybe maybe even unsportsmanlike in some cases. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the tongue wagging, do I love it? Was that me as a player? No. Do I want that? Would I love Arizona and Lou Olson's program to you know always be above board? Yeah, but sometimes having a player with an edge, having a player with you know just absurd levels of confidence helps you in these games get up for games maybe that you weren't already ready for. And then at the end of games, having a guy who's willing willing to take the shot. It's not just having the ability to make it, but having the willingness to take it. Kerr has done that a number of times. And come and say tournament time, if I'm looking at Arizona, does is Kerr Kreese and Courtney Ramey the absolute very best backcourt in the country? Probably not. Not going to say that. Umar Balo and Tabellas, best big front court. I'm willing to go out on a limb for that. But hey, Kerr Kreese and Courtney Ramey are one, two in the Pac-12 conference in three-point percentage. That mm-hmm. is something people don't think about, talk about, know about. Arizona's leading the Pac-12 in three-point shooting percentage. Right. So if you ask, what are the weaknesses of this team? Deep run in the tournament, guard play, three-point shooting. Sometimes is the difference maker. Lots of times is the difference right. maker. Well, Arizona right now, percentages, they're sitting pretty good. I'm not saying it's foolproof or it's it's for sure. It's not but it's better than you think. Lid. It's not Damon and Khalid. It's not Bibby and Simon. It's not Jason Terry out there. Let's not get crazy here. But it's better than you think. I think it's a very good point, Mike. Okay, now let's talk Pella Larson a little bit here. Um, Pella's an interesting case. First of all, I've I've been fortunate enough. I've uh, He probably doesn't even remember it, but I saw Pella at Gentle Ben's probably two weeks ago. Nicest dude, you know, nicest dude in the world. Awesome kid. What I do love about him, though, is the acknowledgement that Maybe I'm just a little bit better off the bench. I don't care what, you know, what it is. He's a great defender. Some guys are just wired a little bit differently. But I'll tell you what, though, Rhino. Um, Pella Larson coming in at that under 16-minute timeout is the player that Tommy Lloyd was talking about before the season. I don't really care how it happens as long as he's playing his 28 to 30 minutes per game and playing the way that he's played since he's since the move has been made. Yeah, that move was significant for lots of reasons. And and one of them, is Pella better off the bench? I think probably so. Um, But was the message of we need you coming off the bench, we need you to do A, B, and C. We need you to be aggressive. We need you to drive to the rim. We need you to stop trying to get fouled and trying to just score. Just be you. Uh, I think that message and the move to the bench was really what Pella needed. So it's not necessarily do I think he's better off the bench or not. Because like you said, he's actually playing more minutes Mm -hmm. coming off the bench in the last six games. Uh, But the message was delivered. He is playing so much better for Arizona on both ends of the floor. And I really think it's those factors. Uh, By the way, he is encroaching on the consecutive free throw make record, which Salim Stoudemire, you get to that mm-hmm. type of number. I think he's only four or five away from potentially right. breaking that. Uh, hopefully, you and I didn't just throw the media. I, I was going to say, it. hopefully, we don't have those kind of powers, Rhino. Yeah, I, I doubt we do. We're pretty good. We're not that right. good. Uh, but if if you look as Pella's improvement, 
uh, because of those last six games. You look at that six-game run that Arizona's been on. Defensive field goal percentage is better by five points. Three-point defensive field goal percentage is better by four percentage points. So it's Pella's play, but it's right. also the overall team play. I think the rotations, the way Tommy is subbing, is is better suited for this team. He constricted the lineup to seven men, mm-hmm. and there's debate out there, right? Was that the good, the right move? The long term, does that make sense? It's working. Uh, I mentioned it in the post game that North Carolina rode their starting five to the national title game last year. It's not improbable. There's longer television timeouts during postseason, so you get more rest. Uh, yes, is could an injury happen? Kirk Risa twists an ankle in the postseason tournament. You need to go to the bench a little bit more. Adama Ball was ready. Well, I don't know necessarily if if he won't be ready. I would love to to think that those bench guys would play better here in the next couple of weeks as they get time maybe tommy's going to use him he said he's wanted to use him but uh, the proof's in the pudding that seven-man rotation uh and especially kind of utilizing azulis and balo together for segments but then one big at a time arizona can match up with small ball pretty well one thing tommy lloyd is very good about is calling his shots and uh, we're going to get to that in just a second but first mountain mike's pizza oracle and wetmore you might say mike who's mountain mike it's not me you go to oracle and wetmore check it out great pizza great beers great specials great place to watch the game or if you're smart watch the game but have rhino and brian jeffries in on your headset right there uh best place to do it check it out uh mountain mike's pizza okay and check out show notes and link in the description. Kylan Boswell, I will be honest here. Um, when Tommy Lloyd said that he thought he could be one of the best lead guards to come through here, I didn't know really what to make of it. But keep in mind, Tommy Lloyd said last year he expected Christian Coloco to be in contention for the defensive player of the year. He said that I know what good teams look like. This is a good team. And not a lot of expectations were on last year's team in hindsight. So, And those were all obviously home runs right there. I see what he's talking about with Kylan Boswell. The more you watch him, the more you see. And again, I don't expect him to be Mike Bibby or Damon or anybody like that. But man, there's something special about him, though, from his feel to the game, the way that he energizes. He's a lot quicker than he looks out there, if that makes any sense, because he's got more of kind of a fullback type build. But man, he's been a breath of fresh air, Rhino, as he's gotten healthier and gotten more of a spot in the rotation. Well, I think you touched on a couple of the main factors, right? Foot healthy, uh, physically transformed his body just in the last six months. If you look at that, and the injury didn't help him, but he kind of lost some of that baby fat. I do believe he's quicker off the bounce. I had some concerns about his ability in the early part of the season of truly breaking down right. uh, elite level D1 defenders off the bounce. I think he is, has gotten quicker off the bounce. Love, love his vision. Uh, he's got a special knack for seeing the floor. And let's think back, lead guard defenders. Arizona, we could argue, uh, dating back modern history. Let's go all the way back to Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. And and let's say uh, all those PGs, how many of those were great defenders? R- Reg, Reg Reggie, Reg, and JP. Jason Terry. Yep, right? None it. of the rest of them wanted that's to it. defend. Mike yeah. Bibby, let's get let's get the facts. He here. got a lot of steals, but he wasn't a great defender. Per se. Thank you for saying that, because somebody's going to come in and say, well, he led the team in steals in 97. What's wrong with you? 
I know the scouting report. The scouting report, when we played that year, he was always guarding the worst perimeter player. Always. Right. He was being stashed. He was being hidden as a freshman. Uh, got better uh, on-ball defender as the years went on, but a lot of his steals came because Bennett Davison was a terror in the post. Jason Terry was wicked on the wing. Michael Mike Dean could help ball. off the wing. Right. Exactly. So you put Mike D on Jacques Vaughn. You didn't right. put Mike Bibby on Jacques Vaughn. Right. So I guess my point is, Kylan Boswell's ability to see the floor offensively, but he is an absolute pest defensively. I think, prediction here, I think in the postseason, either the Pac-12 tournament or the NCAA tournament, Kylan Boswell could be a difference maker on the defensive end against a really good guard in some big moments. I think he's going to come up with either a steal, a deflection, or just kind of slowing somebody down who's going off on us, and we just need somebody to stop him or contain him. I think Kylan Boswell is going to have one of those games. I'm also as intrigued by him, though, being able to go against physical guards on the offensive side. Everybody remembers Houston last year, and last year's team was fantastic. You Obviously, I'm not saying that. But Arizona didn't really have a guy like that at the guard position, the small guard position right there, that was quicker, that was physical, like Kylan Boswell. I think he's a nice little addition if you do end up playing a team like a, you know, or a Houston or a uh, an Alabama, a team like that with quick physical guards. I agree. His his toughness, his size, his build, he 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 doesn't mind contact. I think in fact he he looks for it when he's handling the basketball and 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 uses it to his advantage to clear space. Uh Arizona needs some strength there. Uh Kirk Creesa, love him or what I mean, what is he, 182 pounds right. soaking wet? Not a next uh, level athlete. A tough dude, but not a next level athlete type. Yeah, for sure. Don't don't lose sight of the toughness. Don't equate size and, right. and physique to toughness, but you're you're right, just on the physicality and his ability to play uh in, in in getting into the lane and being able to take a knock i think i think we've seen kylan improve there where he can get to the lane he can he can be in in the middle of the interior and be a little ping pong ball and right. not get knocked around too much so i think that's important the other byproduct that could potentially help arizona is kylan running the point Kerr Creesa setting up for shots and he doesn't have to work so hard to get his own shot. He can be the benefactor of someone else creating offense. And I don't want to say he's going to become a spot up two guard for Arizona, but he could be that off guard. That's that's able to knock shots down when you absolutely have to have it. I think that's maybe a little bit, and just a guess, I don't have the insight that you do, but I think that could be a little bit of a preview to next season as well put Kirk Carissa off the ball a little bit because I, I believe Kylan Boswell one way or the other starting next year. I mean, I don't know how going to be hard I, to keep him, keep his minutes down. Right. I, I just, his development from this year to next year, I think is going to be seismic. Yeah. And so, and then Kirk Carissa, as we know, you get him more set looks, you take a little bit of the pressure off him. Maybe you really see that form where he's hitting low 40%, something like that from, uh, uh, you know, from three. Now, let me ask you this. Um, what is, cause you're at practice a lot. What do you, what has surprised you or what, what, uh, something about Tommy Lloyd that you're like, wow, you know, that's really impressive or that's something that's really grown on you. Has, has there been something like that? Yeah. And I, I would say it started the first time I saw it was in the preparation for Michigan last year in Las Vegas. So, so Arizona beats Wichita state. We go to can't remember which high school, but there was, you know, the team and me pretty much at the, right. at the game. Brian Jeffries had called the ASU football game was coming up. Right. So I'm getting over one of those days for Brian. <laughs> 
I was fortunate enough to call the game with the great Ryan Radke, Westwood ones. Uh, Tucson, we, Tucson claims there. Ryan Radke. Absolutely. You know, yes, he, we he went from calling the NFL playoff games uh, for CBS Sports on, on the radio to his first college basketball game. Do you realize his first game he called was Duke Carolina? I mean, like wow. he didn't even have an exhibition warm up, but that I, I, I take that aside and we'll jump. Well, listen, when you're, when you're yeah. doing play by play for Eric Musselman for three or four years, you're going to be ready to rock and roll <laughs> at any point. That's right. That's right. But so backtrack to last year against Michigan. I remember watching uh, Tommy and Ricky Foyce and Steve Robinson and Murph kind of develop the strategy and the game plan to defend Michigan at the time. Uh, and it was a precursor to what we've seen. And I was very impressed with Tommy's starting point is what do we do best? Let's focus on who we are, which mm -hmm. he's, he's very laser focused on us. But then when it gets to the scouting of, a, of an opponent, his willingness to game plan and not just say, well, we defend on ball screens one way that's the only way that's all we're going to do. We double team and that's it. Right. Or we're going to, how do we handle teams in the post? It doesn't matter. Mono and mono one-on-one. -on -one, we're not doubling from anywhere. Tommy has a great basketball eye for scouting and a willingness to try something that might be a little bit revolutionary in how you're going to defend someone. And so we've watched that over the course of the year. You've seen it a number of times, non shooting threat big man mm -hmm. he loves backing Balo off of that big man or azulis or whomever uh and give them space to do nothing because what they want you to do is crowd him so that then back cutters can get through right. the lane and so tommy's right. go fine i'll take the percentages of that guy shooting a 15 footer which are low in most cases versus a layup for someone else and i'll just clog up the middle not that that's the first time I've ever seen that in college basketball, but that's an example of Tommy looking at the other team, their personnel, their best plays, and one of a gazillion examples where he's willing to do something unique, and it's he's willing and able to teach it to a team to execute in like 24 to 48 hours. All right. I've got a campaign that I'm starting right now that I'm going to get. I want to see if Rhino will hop on here in just a second. But last read, more furniture, morfurniture.com. Check it out. They got great furniture. They've redone the entire studios for PHNX. Um, great stuff. If you're tall like Umar Ballo, they have stuff for you. If you're small like me, they have stuff for me. Check it out. Great prices. Uh, more furniture, morfurniture.com. All right. I believe when you look up at the rat, when you look up at the top of McHale, when you see the jerseys that are up there, not dismissing anybody up there, they all deserve to be up there. To me, Damon Stoudemire needs to be up there in there. And I'll, I'll give you, here's my case. Point guard you, yes, I know that Steve Kerr was the first one that started it. In my opinion, though, Damon was the one that made it sexy. Damon was the one that kids in the playground grew up wanting to be. Damon was the one with jerseys in movies. Um, he was kind of your West Coast Allen Iverson in a weird way. He he transcended. When I think of point guard you, you can make the case, you know, do you like Bibby, like JT, like Damon? Damon will always be the first one that comes to my mind, though, because of that trend that he set. And let's see if Rhino's got this. There's been six consensus first-team AP All-Americans in school history. Can you name the six? Well, Elliot, Bibby, Simon, JT, and I think we uh, – DeAndre Ayton. And, and then, uh, who did I miss? Uh, De 
Damon Stoudemire. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, so you you've hit on the right guy there. Um, what's interesting when you get to recognitions, either Ring of Honor, and, and awesome to see that Arizona has expanded that and got Al Fleming and Ernie McRae in mm-hmm. the Ring of Honor. Uh, I think that's a tremendous tribute and tip of the hat to to yesteryear and and the recognition that Arizona basketball has had some greatness right. pre loot era, which I think is is lost on many of us in our generation mm-hmm. and younger that that don't know those things. It's the job of the school to bring that back up. Uh, when you look at the the justification for the jerseys that are hanging currently, um, you know I don't want to say that there is some that are more important or more statistically sound than others, but uh, you know freshman of the year nationally, okay, that's pretty good. National player of the year, hands down. You know mm-hmm. Sean Elliott and Jason Terry, that makes sense. But freshman right. of the year, Mike Bibby, okay, that may not resonate as much as player of the year, uh, six foot and under player of the year, Jason Gardner, that now you're getting to a much smaller group of people. And I want to take nothing away, from nothing Jason away Gardner. from Jason Gardner, nothing. This is not a, a knock on him. But when I think of Jersey's ring of honor, I, I like where you're going with this because you have to look at impact on the program uh, and impact doesn't always come in stats. Doesn't always come in recognition. Cause we know the PAC 12, the PAC 10 doesn't get the recognition it deserves uh, and so there's players that maybe have not been recognized nationally as much as they should have. And I, I agree with you. Damon took the mantle to the next level to put Arizona on the map as a place to go. He kept it going from a talent acquisition standpoint, a recruiting standpoint. What he did in an Arizona uniform was as impactful as any player we've ever had. Well, right. And I think the qualifications to me, and again, I've talked with Dave Heakey for a lot of, a lot of times off this, we text all the time. And so he knows I, and I've had him on last week and I told him all this, so I'm not speaking out of turn, but to me, the qualifications are archaic, to be honest with you. I believe that they were somewhat put in there and this is just a guess, but I believe they were somewhat put in there at the time to keep maybe somebody out that had a falling out with the university at the time, which has been mended. Won't name any names, but he's up there as he deserves to be up there. But again, to me, I'll give best idea. When my mom thinks about Damon Stoudemire, she still refers to him as Mighty Mouse. I mean, that is, I mean, that's that's some transcendent stuff right there. I would just like to see him mentioned. And sure, we all know that he had a few uh, slip ups over the years. But you know what? That's a long time ago. He's coached then. He's a high level coach in the NBA. To me, he just needs to be up there, Rhino. And that's, uh, like I said, I've every U of A OG that I've had on, I've asked about it and uh, just wanted to see if I could get Rhino's sign off on that as well. Pound, pound for pound, toughest, best Arizona basketball player we've ever had. Pound for pound. Yeah. When you look at what he was able to do at, and 5'10 might be a stretch, might be a stretch at 5'10. Right. He might have been more like 5'9 and 3 fourths. Right. And again, he and Khalid were still the ones that when you when people talk about point guard you, when they talk about it, that was truly a special, special squad right there. And Damon was right at the forefront of it. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. Uh, and, and I'm all for, uh, I, I'm not the guy that wants to say, well, we have to have you know, a very small group of people that we're going to put their their number in the rafters. We have we have broken the rule of retired number. Right. Um, it shouldn't be a number. It should be we're retiring Damon's jersey. We're yeah. retiring the, that jersey of 20 with Stoudemire on the back of it. Granted, uh, you know, 
it, it may not mean as much if no one ever wore that number again. I get how that works in a lot of cases, but North Carolina to me is the best example of a school that understands recognizing players, not retiring numbers, retiring those jerseys. They've got a, a ton of them up there, as you would expect for a blue blood of their their stature. Arizona needs to kind of open that up a little bit and celebrate the history that not too many other schools outside of the, the handful of blue bloods have. Right. All right. He is the great Ryan Hansen. Um, Rhino, as always, appreciate you hopping on here. It means the world to me. Can we get it back the A as usual? Of course. Back the A, Mike, Luke, we love it. Uh, you're, you're one of the ardent supporters of Arizona basketball. And I love it because you and I, we can go toe-to-toe on some of that basketball history. And I love that about I'll you. be honest with you. There's no guests that I have on um, besides you and Brian Jeffries that I get more excited about. So as always, my man, I appreciate you, bro. All appreciate right. It. Back he's, the A. He's Ryan Hansen. Back the A. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.